as if in preparation. Now, in a flood of cold fear, I begin to wonder, is this it? Is this where my number finally comes up? True, my life has been a full one, more spectacular and privileged and colourful than I would have dared even dream, with adventures and wealth and love beyond my share. But even so, is this how it all ends? In the arms of Big Al, in a field, in Sweden? Through the window of the plunging plain, I notice that the runway has been covered in foam, and the perimeter of the airfield is alive with the blinking lights of emergency vehicles. But I somehow keep it together. I rein it in and remain calm and in control. If it must be, then so it must be. It's all right, I say, in a quiet voice. Then, slightly louder, it's all right. Then, in a kind of half-shout, it's all right. Then, finally, in a shrill and rising scream, it's all right. It was all right. A bird strike, apparently. One unlucky member of a passing flock of geese sucked into the engine. The bird was ruined, and so too was the engine. Good job the plane had another one and was able to land. It wouldn't have been the first time in my long and distinguished career that I had handed the tabloids a gift-wrapped headline, Rod Cooks His Goose. And luck within luck, after we had driven back to the hotel where the band was staying and joined them in the bar for several stiff drinks and some dramatic reenactments of the incident, I learned that only the previous day our pilot had attended a refresher course on controlling a plane in the event of an engine loss. Kind of sums up my life, really. An awful lot of the way it's been a long, luxury aircraft ride. But just occasionally, the plane flies into a goose. And somehow, every time it does, I get lucky and live to tell the tale. Chapter One In which our hero is born, just over six years of global conflict ending shortly thereafter, and in which he goes to school and develops, peculiarly enough, an intense loathing for singing in public. Obviously I was a mistake, definitely some kind of oversight in the family planning department, an unforced error, they might call it in tennis. Otherwise, explain why Bob and Elsie Stewart, at forty-two and thirty-nine, with four children to feed, the youngest of them already ten, would suddenly take it into their heads to produce another baby. Furthermore, explain why they would do this in the middle of the Second World War. Hence, eventually, the family joke. Roddy was Dad's slip-up, but as Dad's slip-ups go, a fairly lucrative one. I can't say I was ever made to feel like a mistake, though. On the contrary, despite my late arrival, or perhaps because of it, I seemed to be welcomed very warmly, by the six members of my immediate family at any rate, less so by Hitler. My point of entry into the world on the evening of the 10th of January 1945 was a small bedroom on the top floor of a terraced house on the Archway Road in North London, whose windows had been blown out so many times by the aftershock of exploding bombs from Germany that my dad had cut his losses and boarded them up. The worst of the Blitz was almost over by then, and indeed the war in Europe would end altogether nearly four months later. But, with no regard for my best interests, the Germans had bombed London throughout my mum's pregnancy. 
first with VE-1 flying bombs, known cheerfully as doodlebugs, and less cheerfully as buzz bombs on account of the noise they made before they killed you, and then in the later stages of her term, and in the first swaddled days of my life, with even more vicious V-2 rockets, launched across the channel from the French coast. Those bastards tended to leave a twenty-five-foot-deep crater where your house used to be. You didn't want to be under a V-2 when it landed, pregnant, swaddled, or otherwise. There's a widely told story that, within an hour of my arrival, a rocket unceremoniously took out Highgate Police Station, a mere three-quarters of a mile away, slightly pooping the party atmosphere at my birth scene, while at the same time impressing on all of us, in a meaningful way, important and lasting lessons about fortune and the uncertainty of our lease upon this world, etc. It's a good little parable, but alas, completely untrue. Just one of those legends, fables, and downright lies told in the name of publicity that we were...